This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight we begin with The Adventures of Sam Spade, a radio series based loosely on the private detective character Sam Spade, created by writer Dashiell Hammett for the Maltese Falcon. The series starred Howard Duff as Sam Spade and Lorreen Tuttle as his secretary, Effie. Tonight we hear the episode, Missing Newshawk. The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective, brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil Hair Tonic, the non-alcoholic hair tonic that contains lanolin. Wild Root Cream Oil. Again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. Sam's Bay Detective Agency. Bernadine. Anything wrong? You sound almost human. It's not Bernadine, Sam. It's me, Effie. F. But I'll tell Bernadine about your compliment. How are things? Well, uh, I've made out as best I could. I don't want to, don't want you to think that I begrudged you a vacation. After all, you have worked hard. You, uh, did deserve it. Sam Spade, is that all you have to say to me? I'm not putting the blame on you. After all, it is a state law, so I can hardly accuse you of letting me down at a time when I needed you most. Well, you might at least ask me if I had a good time. I'm sorry if your conscience bothered you. Oh, well, it didn't. I had a divine time, and I met all sorts of interesting people. Mostly men. You don't say. What else? Well, it was this desert ranch, you know, with a lot of, uh, buttes around. You, uh, mentioned those. No, Sam, no, no, no. They're the result of erosion. Those outdoor types, they go to pieces. Sam, are you pulling my leg? Not over the phone, Effie, but stay where you are. I'll be right down to look at your snapshots. And when you have the time, I'll dictate my report on the missing newshawk caper. <laughs> Dashiell Hammett, America's leading detective fiction writer and creator of Sam Spade, the hard-boiled private eye, and William Spear, radio's outstanding producer-director of mystery and crime drama, join their talents to make your hair stand on end with the adventures of Sam Spade. Presented by the makers of Wild Root Cream Oil for the hair. And now, with Howard Duff starring as Spade, Wild Root brings to the air the greatest private detective of them all in the adventures of Sam Spade. <laughs> Outside of Kanab on Virgin River. Kanab, the Pearl of the West. Uh huh. And did I mention the buttes? Oh, well, they're very interesting. The uh, result of erosion. Yes. And it's authentic, too. Faye Hamlin's ranch. You uh, mean a working ranch? Yes. You see, that way you get into the spirit. Mm -hmm. My job was to feed the chickens. And that's how I met him. <sighs> One of the buttes? Oh, Sam, he's a very cultured gentleman. Culture smulcher. What's he do for a living? He, well, he, he cures stammering. You don't say. 
What's his name? Charlie Shank. Charlie Shank? He's the founder of the Shank Institute of Arc- Ar- Articulative Correction, which Ar- I should learn. Articulative Correction. Where is this institute? Oh, I have the address here. Um, General Delivery, Butte, Montana. Mm-hmm. You're sure you didn't help him break parole, Effie? Oh, no, oh, no, no. We just went on long walks together. Where to? Oh, different points of interest. Like, uh, like Wolf Canyon. Figures. Uh-huh. He invited me on this camping ship, a trip. Honorable, of course. Mm. But I couldn't go on account of my sunburn. Oh, oh. I had an awful, awful... Oh, I still got bad. it, you see. Mm. And then, then he went back to Butte. He had to leave in such a hurry, he couldn't even say goodbye. Well. It was a pity, too, because an old friend he hadn't seen in years came looking for him just a few minutes later. With a warrant? No. No, he was an attendant in a nearby hospital. Mental? Oh, yes. Very intelligent. <coughs> he read me some of his poetry. Maybe you've heard it. Um, a loaf of bread, a jug of wine, and thou. Yeah, wait a minute. Isn't that the Rubiat of Omer Cayenne that was written by a guy named Fitzgerald? Well, of course. That's his pen name. Quite a penman. Yes, but he's paid his debt to society. And the other time it was a bad beef. Oh, naturally. He told me all about yeah, it. Yeah, sure. He cried on my shoulder afterwards. Sweetheart, when you make a mistake, it's a beaut. Sam, nothing happened. Well, I'm glad he cured you of stammering, anyhow. <clears throat> Ready? Oh, yeah. I've got a brand Work, new you notebook. you know. Life goes on. I've got a brand new notebook, Sam. I'll just turn over a new leaf. Not a bad idea, dear. <laughs> Uh, date, uh, July 18 to Mr. Alex M. Youngblood, uh, mm, try that again. Mr. Alex M. Youngblood, P.O., Box 317, San Francisco, from Samuel Spade, license number 137596. Dear Mr. Youngblood, I need a vacation myself. You need Charlie Shank. <sighs> you sound tired, Sam. Fortunately, until I met you, my only experience with any of the men and women who make your newspaper run had been with one of your corner newsboys who shortchanged me two times within as many days. I have not read your rag since. But your name looked imposing, and so did the $300 check upon which you had written it. Per your instructions, promptly at 4 p.m. on the 15th inst, I munched through the litter of your city room toward a door marked A.M. Youngblood, publisher, managing editor, and city editor. I wondered if you were ambitious, frugal, or three men. I did not know that you had good taste until I saw the trim, 20-ish, and toothsome secretary in your outer office. Hello. You're new here, aren't you? Uh, well, I'm not exactly here. I'm just here to see Mr. Youngblood. Oh. The name is Spade. Samuel Spade? Sam, except for my most intimate friends. <laughs> well, my advice to you, Sam, is to beat a hasty retreat. He's in a foul mood. Oh? Uh, why? Is he blind or older than he feels? I refer, of course, to your spectacular charm, Miss... Uh, If I may call you, miss. Please, this is neither the time nor the place. My name is Phyllis Watson, and my phone number is in the directory, if you're really interested. I could be. Thank you. And if a man answers, tell him you're my French teacher. Oui. (laughs) You better go in now. If you're late to an appointment with him, you're through. Uh, Do you have any more words of wisdom? No, but I hope you can do something to improve his state of mind. He's been awful lately. Good luck, Sam. Thank you, Phyllis Watson. Come in, come in. Now, one minute past four. You must be Mr. Spade. That's right. You're almost late. Sit down, Spade. Cigar? Uh, no, thanks. Well, don't expect me to offer a drink. You aren't a drinker, I hope. You don't listen to the radio, do you? Well, you'll not drink in this office. Nothing here but a cooler filled with water from a clean, gurgling, laughing mountain stream. You sound like a reformed drunk, Mr. Youngblood. What's that? Well, it was a good many years ago. 
you don't mind, I'll just paste up the weather report for my morning edition before we talk. Oh, you do that too, huh? Yes, obviously. And with good reasons. I remind myself that I was once a copy boy, and I find it a splendid way to, uh, at least once each day, to lower myself to the level of the working man. There we are. Very hot in Phoenix, I see. Mm-hmm. Uh, just what do you want a detective for, Mr. Youngblood? I was coming to that, Mr. Spade. Sorry. Now, uh, <clears throat> well, first let me warn you that your assignment is a highly confidential one. They all are. In this case, a man's life may be at stake. Mm-hmm. The situation, my newspaper, at my order and under my guidance, has launched a campaign against crime. Not aimed at the petty criminal, but at the easy-living leeches at the controls of the rackets, the hoods in bankers' clothing, the mansion-house parasites who direct the pickpockets, the second-story men, the housebreakers, who gamble away yeah, half a million uh, dollars a easy. year uh, and uh, pay income tax yeah, yeah, only don't a go to fraction pieces. of that amount. Uh, yes, I and, understand, I understand. Uh, you're after the boys on the safer side of the fences. Uh, uh, nicely put, Spade, yes. Thank you. Well, the long and short of it is this. The author of the expose series, Ray McCulley, my top crime reporter, has been missing for two days. I want you to find him. What makes you think he's still alive? Good heavens, Spade. Why must you suggest that he isn't? Because if I were a mansion-housed parasite in danger of being unhoused by a newshawk, I'd see said newshawk standing in a cement block in the bottom of the bay. I will accept that only when no stone has been left unturned. Every straw and every haystack has been searched. Every... Uh, nook and cranny? Uh... Yes. Sounds as though you need at least one police force, Mr. Youngblood. Now, why don't no, you just... No, no, uh... no, no, no. Impossible. We've already had a brush with the police over the expose. I'll not be dictated to at this stage of the game. I started this investigation, and I'll finish it alone. Well, it's a pretty big order, Mr. Youngblood, but uh, times are tough. I'll see what I can do. Good. I hereby turn over to you all the resources and power of this, my newspaper. When one of my reporters is in trouble or danger, sir, I will spend every penny of my fortune, if necessary, to deliver aid and succor to his side. You then gave me Ray McCulley's expose stories to date. I saw why you, his family and friends, and his creditors could have been worried about him. They were hot. One followed a stolen car from the time of the heist through the alteration of the body color, tire brands, license number, motor serial number to the time it was shoved onto a used car lot. They named names all the way through. And another did the same to the firm of Otter, Badger, and Mole, furriers, and alleged manufacturers of coats from clouted pelts. Ray McCulley had dropped out of sight right after that story had been published. So I left your office hoping that I'd reach the address of Otter, Badger, and Moe before closing time. I did. The plushy showroom was occupied by a dozen attractive fur-bearing models, female, but wax. The live models, male, were wearing padded shoulders, pointed shoes, and coats tailored for underarm artillery. They would have looked more natural at Madame Tassard's waxworks, Bertram the burglar section. Hey, oh, hey, what'll it be? Something for a little woman? Uh, where do I find Mr. Otter? You the law? Uh, Leo sent me. He's in his office. Come on. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Don't crowd me. You say you want to see the boss? On business. Stop nudging me with a rod. In there, hey, move. Okay, okay. Hey, your boss. Yes, Woody? Here's a Joe here to see you. Leo sent him. Well, nudge him in, Woody. No nudging, Woody. Well, well, well. So Leo's sending a man to see me. I wonder why. If you'll uh, comb this character here out of my hair, I'll try and tell you. Sit down, Woody. Mm. Thanks. You're new in town. 
Uh, yeah, that's why Leo sent me a local muckraker named Ray McCulley interviewed you. He also interviewed Leo, but it didn't get printed yet. Uh, Leo wants to find him. So do I. How can I help? Well, uh, he walked out of here, went to his hotel, wrote the story, and mailed it in. That's the last anybody's seen of him. Uh, Leo was just sort of hoping that you'd already taken care of him. Not yet. That's all I wanted to know. Thanks. Just a moment. Yeah? Leo sending you out alone? Why not? That's a tough boy, that McCulley. He's got plenty of protection. That's what you need. What kind of protection? Go along with him, Woody. Who, me? You're Woody, aren't you? Now, look, uh, look, Mr. Otter. I don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth, but the way I see it, this is a, a lone wolf-type caper. Hey, what's the matter, Hey, You think I'm too good for you? Well, Woody, I wouldn't say that. Good, it's settled then. Take care of him, Woody, and don't mix it up with any of Leo's boys. If he's out to get that rat McCulley, he's our friend. I was beginning to wonder who Leo was. I'd grabbed the name off a calendar on the wall, Leo's van and storage. I didn't know whether he was the Leo Mr. Otter didn't like, and I hoped I wouldn't find out. The best way I could think to keep from finding out was to shake Woody. On the way uptown, I walked him past four police stations. Crossing Market Street, I pushed him straight into the arms of a traffic cop who begged his pardon and let me off with a warning. At the Blue Bottle Bar and Grill, I gave Joe, the bartender, the Mickey Finn sign, but Woody liked it. He ordered another. Then he said he knew a place on Columbus where the drinks were even better. It was called Leo's Place. I wondered if that meant anything. Hey, oh, hey. Uh, who, me, huh? I want your drink. Don't you like this joint? Yeah, sure, it's fine. Uh, we're not getting anywhere, though. Do you really take your work serious? Me, when I go gun for somebody, I go where I'm least likely to succeed. You live longer. Yeah. Uh, Woody, what do you know about this guy, uh, McCulley? You hear the puss. He says he's a rat. Yeah, but he said he's got plenty of protection. Who's furnishing it? Well, you see, there's the... Boy, oh boy. Look at what just walk in. I looked. What I saw was not disappointing. She was wearing a skin-tight black satin with a plunging neckline and a new look only in places where it didn't matter. But she still looked enough like your secretary, Phyllis Watson, to be out of place in Leo's place. She didn't stay there long. She made a beeline through the kitchen to the rear exit. I made a beeline right after her. Woody was breathing down my neck as I started up the rickety outside stairway at the back of the building. I uh, stopped the landing and turned around to face him. See you later, Woody. I didn't wait to see if he made it all the way to the bottom of the stairs. I was more interested in what was going on at the top. A door had opened and Phyllis stepped inside. The man who let her in looked like Ray McCulley. Who are you? Well, the name is Spade. I don't know that name. Your boss hired me to find you. Private Dick. Yeah. Can I uh, talk to you for a minute? Sure. Put your hands behind your neck and walk up slow. Okay. All right. Go inside. Well, what's the matter? You're not acting glad to see me. This is the guy, fellas. Yes. Alex hired him this afternoon. There you see. Now, uh, what do you want me to tell Youngblood? You're not going to tell anybody anything. Oh. It caught me right behind the ear. The last thing I saw was that plunging neckline as Phyllis rushed forward. I didn't know whether she was rushing to my rescue or to get in a few licks of her own. Five seconds later, I didn't care. As the design in the linoleum slammed up at me, I had just time to wonder why, of all the people who were looking for Ray McCulley, I had to find him. Then I was out. Boing. 
maced for my pains. The makers of Wild Root Cream Oil are presenting the weekly Sunday adventure of Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, Sam Spade. to the missing Newshawk caper. Tonight's adventure with Sam Spade. I was lying on the floor in a room with nothing in it but a sink, an army cot, a square of dirty linoleum, and a body. I staggered to my feet, ran some cold water over my head, and took a closer look. It was Ray McCulley. He was a very dead, crusading reporter. He'd been stabbed clean through with a long-bladed kitchen knife that set on the handle, property of Leo's place. I went through his pockets. And his wallet, a press card, a police card, union card, and ten genuine, crisp, new thousand-dollar bills. That gave me a line on the killer. He was crazy. So was I. I left it on him, too. Folded up in his vest pocket, I found two newspaper clippings, one from the Chronicle and one from your paper. Both weather reports for the same date. It was very hot in Phoenix, according to both papers. But according to your weather report, the temperature in Needles, California, was 135 degrees. That needled me. So did the slip of paper I found on his shoe. The number nine and a date had been stamped on it with a rubber stamp. The date was the same as that of the weather reports. I turned it over. It said Ruthie's Booth, Manson Bowling Alley. Type. Corona's a panatelli. Uh, thanks. I'm just shopping. Oh. Uh, I got a nice line of notions. So have I. Uh, no, I mean the dolls, the Hollywood dolls. You know, for the bed, only a dollar plus tax. Very reasonable. Say, what's on your mind? Uh, Leo sent me. Oh. Are you going to collect the slips hereafter? Well, uh, not tonight. You see, I'm uh, sort of a troubleshooter. Leo's uh, checking up on some of the numbers that didn't come out right. Listen, I'll tell him to his face. I don't want any part of those wrong numbers. They're scary. Nuts. Who bought this one? Let me see. Oh, last Thursday. Oh, number nine. How can I forget? He put $500. And honest, if he's been around once, he's been around a hundred times to see if it paid off. Did it? What's his name? Mr. Spinelli. He buys a slip every day. And if you ask me, he's learned his system. Because he's been winning, you know. Dimes and then a dollar and then five dollars. And then when he come in with 500 on number nine until he dropped dead, did it win? Where does he live? <gasps> it did. Wait, I'll look on the sheet. Hey, somebody else was in just this afternoon. Give me that address. Hurry up, will you? It's right around the corner on Manson, 810. Say, maybe that's his system. Eight and one. Don't that add up to nine? Hey, what's the matter? Where are you going in such a rush? Please, come back later. Tomorrow... Next week. Are you Mrs. Spinelli? Yes, please. I had so much trouble. Is your husband home? Oh, my poor man. They take him away. He's dead. Oh, I'm sorry. How did it happen? Who are you? I'm a detective. Maybe I can help you. May I come in? 
All right. Come on. It took quite a while to gain her confidence, and after that it took still quite a while to piece together the grief-stricken grumble of words that poured out of her. When I got it down in the form of a statement, I asked her to read it over. Item. Statement by Mrs. Arturo Spinelli. All the time he played those numbers. I told him they're just a bunch of gangsters. They don't let you win. Then he met this man, Macaulay, a writer for the newspaper. My husband says this man shows him how to win. He wins and wins. Then he goes to bank and takes out all our savings. I begged for him not to do it. But no, no, he was greedy. And this Macaulay poisoned his mind. Sure, he won. He brought the money home in his hand. Ten thousand dollars. I don't want it. I'm scared. I took it while he was sleeping with wine and gave it to the men. I tell him all I want is the five hundred. He tried to tell me we do good. We help catch the big gangsters. I say we don't want to do so good we get murdered in our beds. So he says, okay, but if I change mine, here is address. I don't change my mind. Because already my husband, he is dead. At home. Stand. No, I don't change my mind. She signed it, and I left her alone with her grief. I wasn't working for you anymore, Mr. Youngblood. You hired me to find your reporter, and I had. And I wished I hadn't. The rest of it I did for myself. You weren't in your office when I got there, but Phyllis was. I found her behind the city desk in the act of dropping tomorrow morning's weather report into the slot. I grabbed her out of her hand. What? Oh, it's you. Where's your boss? At home, I guess. We'll talk in his office. Come on. Sam, I can explain how I have. You're going to be... explain plenty before I'm finished with you. Sit down. Oh, you... I don't have to be so rough. What's the matter with you? Plenty. I'm stupid. I was stupid to take this job, and I was stupid to play it cagey with you. I should have beaten the story out of you before the trouble started. It's a little late in the day now, but not too late to send you up for McCulley's murder. Oh, you're insane. Ray McCulley was... I'm the only one who ever tried to help you. And I'm the only one who can place you in that room, not ten minutes before the murder. I told you I can explain Stop trying to save your own skin. Spinelli was only one of a half million poor dumb yucks that lose their nickels and dimes and dollars every day in the policy racket. Only he had the bad luck to win. There won't be any more lucky dead people like him if I have to make a patsy out of you to stop it. It won't stop it. Nothing will. Ray talked big and brave like you. Now he's dead. Yeah, with 10,000 bucks dirty money in his wallet. I won't let you say things like that. Ray was an honest reporter, too honest. He thought Youngblood meant what he said about that cleanup campaign. Yeah, he did. He wanted to run this town by himself, clean up his competition. When Ray started collecting material on the numbers racket, he still thought Youngblood was on the level. But that was before he stumbled onto the thing about the weather reports. Yeah, yeah, that was a new one. The old Dutch Schultz mob used to add up the stock market quotations. If they cheated, they knew their customers weren't good enough at arithmetic to prove it. But who knows how hot it is in Phoenix unless they live there. I don't know what you're talking about. Listen. That's how the number game works, sweetheart. The suckers pick a number from one to ten, see? The operators tally up the slips, and the least popular for that day has to win. 
The weather report doesn't have to pass through the copy desk, and with young blood pasting it up with a few strategic corrections, it was easy to make their winners look as if they were on the level. Oh. But of course, you had no way of knowing that. You only watched them do it day after day. You know, I couldn't understand why he did those things. It, it seemed silly falsifying a weather report, but it didn't seem as if it could do any harm. What did you meet McCulley for? To get your cut of the ten grand Spinelli was killed for? How dare you? I went there to warn him about Who you. Who killed him? I don't know. You're lying. All right, I'm lying. But I can prove that Ray was on the level. I've got the proof right here. The whole story he wrote on the numbers racket, even naming Youngblood as the head of it, his own publisher. I went there to get it. I was going to take it to another newspaper. Why didn't you? I can't tell you that. You don't have to. Mrs. Spinelli was confused, grief-crazed. She had to put the blame on somebody, and when she did, she got her revenge the only way she thought she could. She may have been right about that, but she killed the wrong man. Why didn't you tell me you knew who killed Ray? I wanted to give you a chance to tell me yourself. I'm glad you didn't. And that, Mr. Youngblood, is the crop. I'm sure you appreciate the fact that I gave the double scoop to your paper. Like uh, Mrs. Spinelli, I have my own ideas of vengeance. Besides, it may up your circulation a little, and you can certainly use a little extra money for your defense. Uh, by the way, who's Leo? Uh, period, end of report. But Sam... Yes, Evie? I thought Mrs. Spinelli killed Ray McCulley. The vacation helped. You are absolutely correct. Mrs. Spinelli killed Mr. McCulley, if you'll pardon the expression. But why did she kill her husband? I was wrong. The vacation didn't help. You mean she didn't? She killed McCulley to avenge the murder of her husband. You mean Mr. McCulley killed Mr. Spinelli? Effie, stop. I'll go mad. Oh, you need a vacation, Sam. Look, type that up. The clatter of the keys may stimulate you to further cerebral activity. I beg your pardon, Sam? Brain work. Now, shoot. Oh, brain work. Oh, you know best. Well, here it is, Sam. And you were absolutely right. The typing cleared my mind. It's all clear now except for one thing. Well, let's clear that up right away. Why did Mrs. Spinelli kill her husband? She did not kill her husband. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant, why did Mr. McCulley kill Mr. Spinelli? Kelly did not kill Spinelli. Who's Kelly? McCulley. McCulley's real name was Kelly? Now, let's start all over again. Disregard everything we said up until now. Make your mind a complete blank. All right, Sam. In the first place, McCulley did not kill Spinelli. That's what I said. It was his wife, wasn't it? Now, wasn't it, Sam? Oh, stop teasing me. Sam, why do you look at me like that? Effie, Mr. Spinelli was killed by one of the policy racket hoods to get back the ten grand he won on the numbers game. Then how did the money get into Kelly's pocket? McCulley's. Why do you insist on using his alias, Sam? Effie, Effie that was a tip of the tongue. I, I mean, look, Mrs. Spinelli took it to him because she was afraid her husband might be killed for then it. why didn't they take the money when they killed him? Because Mrs. Spinelli had already taken it. Then she did kill him. Go home, Effie. All right, Sam. I'm sorry I'm so irritable to you, but I, I thought it's... Well, it's been so long since oh, I've no, been here, you know, Sam. Angel, and I... Angel, you're just tired. Vacations have a habit of doing that to you. After a week or two in the office, you'll be all rested up again. I'll take it you easy. You act as though you thought my mind were affected. Come here. Oh, Come Sam, here. now don't my sunburn. Oh, it hurts. <clears throat> it's nice to have you back. You look good, too. All tanned and healthy. You're roof. It's great. I think my nose is peeling. Well, don't pick at it. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> good night. Good night, sweetheart. The Adventures of Sam Spade, Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, are produced and directed by William Spear. 
Sam Spade is played by Howard Duff. Loreen Tuttle is Effie. The Adventures of Sam Spade are written for radio by Bob Tallman and Gil Dowd, with musical direction by Lud Gluskin. Gil Dowd directed tonight's broadcast in William Spears' absence. Join us again next Sunday for another adventure with Sam Spade, brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil. Again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. This is Dick Joy reminding you to... Get Wild Root Cream Oil, Charlie. It keeps your hair in trim. You see, it's non-alcoholic, Charlie. It's made with soothing lanolin. You better get Wild Root Cream Oil, Charlie. Start using it today. You'll find that you will have a tough time, Charlie. Keeping all the gals away. Hiya, Baldy. Get Wild Root right away. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for The Life of Riley, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for William Bendix to star as Chester A. Riley, a riveter in an aircraft factory. Tonight's episode's entitled, Riley Has Tonsillitis. Hey, Riley. Yeah. What do you have? Have blue ribbon. What else? Smooth it, smooth it, smooth it, flavors, zest and sparkle, million favors, taste that smoother, smoother flavor, Pabst Blue Ribbon Beer. What do you have? Pabst Blue Ribbon. Internationally famous Pabst Blue Ribbon, finest beer served anywhere, proudly presents The Life of Riley, starring William Bendix as Riley. <laughs> No one can say that Chester A. Riley isn't a kind, thoughtful, considerate husband. Witness the scene that is taking place in the Riley kitchen right now. Riley is reading the evening paper. Mrs. Riley is doing the supper dishes. And as she bends over the sink... Oh! Peg, what's the matter? Uh, nothing. Well, don't say nothing. I, I heard you. No, it, it's nothing, Riley. Well, why are you holding your back like that? Uh, have you got a pain, honey? No, it, it's going away. It always does. You mean you've had this pain before? Well, I, I get it sometime when I bend over the sink. It's really nothing. Oh, read your paper. Forget it. Well, no, I, I will not. What kind of a husband do you take me for? Do you expect me to just sit here reading while you're bending over that pile of dishes in agony? <laughs> no, I'm going to put a stop to that. I'm taking you to the doctor as soon as you finish those dishes. <laughs> I don't need a doctor. I'm all right. Well, we'll let the doctor decide that. It's just a waste of five dollars to go to a doctor for this. <laughs> just tell me to apply a heating pad. Yeah, don't be such a pessimist. Maybe he'll tell you you need an operation. <laughs> don't, Riley. I'm not going to a doctor, and that's all there is to it. Well, you're scared. I'm not scared. Don't be silly. Well, Peg, I'm surprised at you. You're acting like a child. Well, what's there to be scared of? Today, modern surgery can perform miracles. I know that. Well, I was reading a magazine about an operation. It was just marvelous, a perfect piece of surgery. This patient had trouble with his ticker, see? So they cut open his chest, sawed through the ribs, lifted out the heart, and put it on a table. And they kept it ticking all the time while they worked on it. They drained out the red corpse suckles and pumped in the white corpse. <laughs> sort of a loop job. <laughs> Then they put the heart back in, pushed the ribs together, and sewed up his chest. And the man lived? Well, no, but it was a perfect piece of surgery. 
Riley, you can come in now. Oh, how is she, Doc? What did you find? Will she need an operation? Oh, no, it's nothing like that, Mr. Riley. Just a strained muscle. She'll be all right if she applies some heat. Oh, is that all? (laughs) See, Peg, I told you there's nothing to be scared of. Well, thank you, Doctor. Goodbye. Now, see that she takes it easier for a few days. Don't let her exert herself. No laundry, no vacuuming the rugs, no heavy housework. Oh, yeah, sure thing, Doc. My little wife needs to rest. She's going to get it. The kids will do the work. Fine. Well, so long, Doc. Oh, uh, just a minute, Riley. Come over here. Me? Yes, I want to have a look at you. Oh, there's nothing wrong with me. I want to look at your eyes. They're brown. <laughs> hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, but I can see perfect, Doc. Now open your mouth. Yeah, but, Doc... Wider. I... Say, ah. That's what I thought. Those tonsils will have to come out right away, too. You you mean an operation? There's a peg. He's after me. Ah, Riley, what's the matter? He's got a batch of tonsils there. The sooner they come out, the better. Oh, really? Oh, no, you ain't going to operate on me. Nobody's going to cut me up. I don't believe in operations. Nonsense. Now, you'll be at the hospital day after tomorrow at 9 o'clock. No, I won't go. You can't make me. I I don't need no operation. I won't go. Now, Peg, you tell him. He'll be there, doctor. No, no. This is a frame-up. I won't go. But, Riley, dear, I'm surprised at you. Why, you're acting like a child. I don't want no operation. <laughs> What's there to be scared of? Today, modern surgery can perform miracles. Why, of course. And a tonsillectomy isn't really an operation. Well, I've done so many, I could take your tonsils out blindfolded. Oh, yeah? <laughs> well, if you want to get paid, you better peek. <laughs> Gillis. Oh, hi, Riley. Uh, how's the ankle, Gillis? Yeah, coming along okay. Still swollen with a swelling. Uh, well, sit down on the steps here. Here, here give me your crutches. Thanks. Uh, how long do you still have to use these crutches? Oh, about another week. A week, huh? Well, it'll make three weeks you're laid up with that ankle. Well, that's tough. What's tough about it? No weight, take it easy, sleep as late as they want, family waits on me hand and feet, and I get paid every week from the company hospital plan. Uh, ooh, I, I never looked at it like that. Hey, you're, you're lucky, all right. I gotta have my tonsils out, but I'll be back at work after one day. Imagine, I've been chunking in good dough to company plan every week just as long as you. And for once, I'm lucky enough to need an operation. Turns out to be tonsils. Why couldn't I get something that would lay me up at least a month? Sir? Ah, cheer up. <clears throat> Come on. I'll buy you a bottle of Pat's Blue Rip. Oh, okay. Hey, why, why couldn't I have dropped a rivet gun on my ankle like you did? Then I'd be going around on crutches, too, and... Gillis! Your crutches. You're walking without crutches. Oh, yeah, I forgot. I better run back and get them. <laughs> there might be a company spy around. Gillis, you can walk without them. You don't even limp. Okay, Riley, you caught me with my crutches down. <laughs> well, what's the idea? You can walk. Oh, sure. I was able to walk three days after the accident. I figured I'd drag it out a couple of weeks. Well, you sure fooled me. Your ankle looks so swollen. Yeah, well, that part's a nuisance. Whenever the swelling starts going down, I give it a little bang with the crutch to swell it up. <laughs> <laughs> Some 
it, huh? <laughs> I wish I had the guts to try a stunt like that. <laughs> well, why don't you? How are you going to bang your tonsils with a crutch? <laughs> don't tell him it's tonsils. Build it up. Say it's a serious operation. Lay you up for a month. They'll never find out. Yeah, but Gillis, that ain't honest. That's, that's like stealing. Ooh, look who's talking. Ain't you the guy who showed me how to get a nickel back from a payphone by banging it? <laughs> Ain't you the guy who's always using old transfers on buses? And when you go to a restaurant, you order a steak, eat three quarters of it, then you start yelling to the waiter, it's no good, you make him bring you another one. <laughs> that ain't stealing. Well, yeah, but that's legitimate stealing. <laughs> As a citizen, I'm entitled to it until uh, I get caught. Well, so is this legitimate. After all, whose money are you collecting anyway? Not the company's. Yours. Right. I've been paying for ten years and I never took advantage once. And I could have lots of times. During the war, there was plenty of times I was sick as a dog, but I went to work anyway. Even when I had temperature. And that time I had bronchitis. And when I had pleurisy, I never took a day off. Not once. Not even when I got my head caught in a cement mixer. <laughs> no, that time I did take a half a day off while they fixed the cement mixer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm entitled to get some of it back. I'm going to do it. Out of four. Only, well, 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 suppose they find out. Well, how can they? I'm the only one who knows what you're up to. Yes, that's right. And I can trust you, can't I? Well, you know you can trust me. What a question. <laughs> In the first place, I'm your best friend. We've been pals for 20 years. Yeah. And in the second place, if you squeal on me, I'll squeal on you. <laughs> Gillis, old pal, I know I can trust you to the limit. <laughs> uh, Mr. Stevenson. Huh? Oh, oh, it's you, Riley. Uh, can, I, can I see you a minute, boss? If it's about that overtime pay we owe you, you'll get the 25. Uh, but, boss, I told you there's $50 coming to me. No, Riley, only 25. No, no, no boss, 50. Look, I'll show you. Eight hours. All right, day. all right. I won't quibble over a few dollars. You'll get your 50. Oh, thanks, boss. That 50 bucks will come in handy. Now that I'm going to the hospital. Well, that's fine. I hope you... Hospital? Well, yeah. That's what I really came to see you about. I... I need an operation. Oh, well, I'm sorry to hear that, Riley. Nothing serious, I hope. Well, kind of. My ticker. Your heart? Yeah. <laughs> Something with the red corpse suckles. Well, Riley, I, I didn't know they operated for a heart condition. Uh, but it's a new kind of operation. Oh, yes, yeah. yes. I think I read about that in the magazine. A marvelous operation. They practically took the heart out and then put it back in again. Miraculous. Of course, the patient didn't leave. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you worry, Riley. You'll come through. Yeah, I'll be laid up for around three weeks. Oh, don't worry about that. Take all the time you want. Main thing is to get well and strong again. And remember, when you come back here, your job is waiting for you. Oh, thanks, boss. Uh, when is the operation? Uh, tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock. Well, good luck, Riley. I'm, I'm rooting for you. Well, I just want to say that I can't say it. I got a great big lump in my throat. Yeah. Yeah, I know how you feel, boss. I got two big lumps in my throat. <laughs> Oh, 
my, this is a nice, bright room you got, dear. You know, some hospital well, well, room... What time is it, Peggy? Well, almost nine, dear. Already? What's the matter, dear? You nervous? N- me? Nervous? Well, why should I be nervous? <laughs> it's only a tonsil operation. There's nothing to be scared of. Well, who's scared? I ain't the least bit scared. I'm no coward. Well, then stop chewing your gown. Uh, uh. All right, Mr. Riley, on the stretcher. We're ready for you. No! No, I ain't going. Let me go. I don't want no operation. I want to go home. Oh, Riley, stop that. Now, don't be silly. Peg, I'm scared. Why, a minute ago you said you weren't a coward. Yeah, sure I said it. I'm not only a coward, I'm a liar, too. Now, come on, Mr. Riley. The doctor's waiting in surgery on the stretcher. No. Oh, come Uh, on, Riley. Fight nothing. Zip, zip, and it's all over. Yeah, well, zip, zip, you get on a stretcher. Mr. Riley, if you don't get on the stretcher, I'll just... Okay, okay. I'll go quietly. I know what I'm like. Peg, kiss me. Good luck. Good luck, dear. Now you, nurse. (laughs) Riley. Excuse me. I'm so scared I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) Goodbye, Peg. And remember, I always loved you. Bill Peg? It's all settled. How do you feel, Riley? Ah, swell. Hurts a little when I swallow, but I feel great. Oh, that's good. Hard to believe that only a couple of hours ago, I was under the knife. I told you it was nothing. <laughs> you told me. All right, Mr. Riley, you're discharged. You can go home now. Ah, that's well. Well, what are we waiting for? Let's go, Peg. Uh, Mr. Riley. Well, come on, Peg. Why hang around here? Let's go home. Come on. Mr. Riley, uh, don't you think you'd better get out of that nightgown first and put your pants on? Oh, yeah, uh, uh, well, just for being fresh, nurse, I ain't changing my will. I was going to leave this hospital in my brain, but now I'm not. Uh. Well, you hold on to it, dear. You'll never know when you'll need it. Anything wrong, Mr. Stevenson? You look worried. I am, Billy. I'm worried about Riley. That's a serious operation. Poor devil. What time is it? Twelve o'clock. I should have some news by now. Get me to the hospital. Yes, sir. It's an awful thing to go through. And I, I didn't realize he was a sick man. Looked the picture of hell. Here you are. Hello? Blueview Hospital. Now, I'd like some information about a patient, Riley, Chester Riley. Uh, one moment, please. I'll check. Thank you. Millie, uh, don't forget to send Riley flowers. Hello? Yes, yes. How is Riley? Mr. Riley's gone. <laughs> gone? But, but he was just operated on this morning. Well, it was all over very quickly. <laughs> gone. What's the matter, Mr. Stevenson? Never mind the flowers, Millie. Riley's dead. Oh! And 
now back to the life of Riley, starring William Bendix as Riley with Paula Winslow and John Brown. Just a few minutes ago, Mr. Stevenson, Riley's boss, dialed the number of the Blue View Hospital, listened to the terse words from the nurse at the other end of the line, turned pale, and as the receiver fell from his limp grasp, he was heard to exclaim in a voice choked with emotion, Oh, Riley, he's dead. Ah, but little does Mr. Stevenson know that at this very moment, Riley is very much alive. Reclining comfortably in his bed at home, he's living the life of Riley at the company's expense. Ah, this is the life, Peg, lying in bed, nothing to do but read and eat, sleep late in the morning, no time clock to punch. <laughs> Three weeks of this and I'll never want to go back to work. <laughs> Three weeks? Yeah. What are you talking about? Oh, yeah, that's right. I didn't tell you, did I? <laughs> You'll be well enough to go back to work tomorrow. Now, I'm going to stretch it to three weeks, a month maybe, maybe even a fortnight. Like <laughs> that crazy. You won't get paid. <laughs> You're forgetting about the company's sick benefit plan. Mr. Stevenson won't give you three weeks' pay for tonsils. <laughs> Who's got tonsils? I told him I'm having a heart operation. <laughs> what? Oh, Riley, how could you tell such a lie? I ain't such a lie. After all, my heart's only a few inches from my tonsils. And... <laughs> Riley, you, you can't do this. I, I won't let you. Why not? Stevenson fell for it hook, line, and sinker. Don't worry, he says to me. Stay home as long as you want. The main thing is to get well. And there'll always be your job waiting for you. Oh, what a chump. <laughs> How did he ever get to be the head of a big company? I got more brains than my tonsils. <laughs> Riley, I... Oh, you can't be serious about this. It's, it's dishonest. Oh, look who's talking about honesty. Oh. Why, I never did a dishonest thing in my life. No? I've seen the way you buy strawberries in the market. <laughs> You take all the big strawberries from the top layer of all the other boxes and fill up a box of your own. Uh, I, I do not. Yeah, well, you get me to do it. Uh, what about the time we went to that banquet? You bought a dress at the May Company, wore it to the banquet, and the next day you returned it and got your money back. Uh. Well, it, it, it didn't fit. It, it was too tight. Yeah, well, who told you to eat so much at the banquet? <laughs> We're talking about tonsils. Now, look, Riley, I won't let you do this. Now, Peg, my head is made up. I won't let you, do you hear? I won't now, let please, you. please, please, don't get me excited. Remember my heart condition. Oh. I mean, uh... You're uh, going to phone Mr. Stevenson and tell him you didn't have an operation. Tell him it was postponed. I will not. Then I will. Oh, you wouldn't dare. Oh, wouldn't I? Just watch me. No, wait, wait, no, no, Peg, wait, no. Wait, wait a minute, okay. Okay, you win. I'll tell him when I go to work tomorrow. Well, now that's more like it. And the next time you try to pull all a stunt right, like right, that, that's you're... enough, Peg. Oh, somebody at the door. Now shut my door on the way out, will you, Peg? You want to take a little nap? All right, I'm coming, I'm coming. Yes? Oh, it's you. Yes, it is I indeed. Digby O'Dell, the friendly undertaker. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness, Mr. Odell. You rang that bell loud enough to wake the dead. Believe me, I'd be the last person who'd want to do that. <laughs> May I come in? Certainly. My dear Mrs. Riley, I heard the sad news about your spouse this morning. I expected you to tell me. 
Please accept my evil simmer. Oh, don't be so grim, Mr. O'Day. Ah, you're a brave little woman. Tell me, did he suffer much? Oh, no. It was all over in a minute. Bully for him. <laughs> He's much better off this way. That's what I keep telling them down at the office. <laughs> it had to happen sooner or later. The sooner the better. Oh, if only everybody had that attitude. May I see him now? Of course. In the bedroom. What's the matter? Twenty-five years in the business. This is the first time I've ever heard one of them snore. Oh, is he snoring? Well, wake him up. Who, me? He's walking. Now I've seen everything. Well, what's the matter with you, Digger? You look as if you've seen a ghost. I have. Who, oh, me? <laughs> Riley, a ghost? Believe me, Digger, I'm very much alive. <laughs> it's no laughing matter. The whole neighborhood is in mourning. Oh, you're kidding. Out of respect for you, the pool room has closed its doors for the rest of the day. <laughs> Why, this is fantastic. How did such a rumor start? Why, I, I don't believe it. I assure you it's true. I passed Riley's plant a little while ago. The flag is at half mass. The men congregated in little groups, spoke of nothing else. Heart condition, they said. Heart condition? Chester Riley, you and your ideas. I knew something like this would happen. Oh, I, I've told you time and time again. Why can't you act like a normal human being? Hello? Hello, Mrs. Riley. This is Carl Stevenson. Oh, Mr. Stevenson. I've heard the sad news. <laughs> I'm in the neighborhood with some of dear Chester's friends. We'd like to drop in and pay our last respects to a fine soul whose departure has saddened us all. But, Mr. Stevenson... Don't try you... to talk. I know how you feel, but you must be brave. <laughs> we'll be right over. But, uh, Mr. Stevenson... Hello. Miss, hello. Well, that was Mr. Stevenson. He's coming right over to pay his respects to your widow. <laughs> How are you going to get out of that one, Peg? <laughs> oh, I'm really dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, What'll I do? What'll I do? Craig, when he gets here, you, you tell him that I... That, that, that tell you, him what? Well, tell him that you... Well, you'll think of something. Tell him I... Oh, I, 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 no, 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 not me. Because I'm not going to be here. Yeah, but Peg... You, you got yourself into this, now you get yourself out. You're not going to pass the buck to me. I'm going to lock myself in Babs's room and save her. No, Peg, wait. Fine wife I got. Digger, what'll I do? If Stevenson finds out I lied, I'll lose my job. How did this story about my being dead get started anyway? I... That's him. What'll I do, Digger? Oh, I wish. I wish. That's it. That's it. I'll play dead for a few minutes, and then he'll go away, and I'm safe. Riley, you can't get away with that. Well, playing dead's my only chance. 
If he finds out I'm alive, he'll kill me. Come on. Come on, in the bedroom. But, my dear man, playing dead, it, it's unethical. It, it... Oh, don't argue, Digger. It's my funeral. In that case, lie down. Okay. Close your eyes. Yeah. Hold your hand. Yeah, what else? Now, if you could only stop... No, I guess not. Uh, let him in. But don't let him get too close to me. I had onions for lunch. Right, dear. Come in, gentlemen. I'm Carl Stevenson. I'm Digby O'Dell. Oh, yes. Oh, of course, I've seen your advertisements on the bus benches. <laughs> These are Chester's friends, Mr. Durkin, Mr. Shapiro. Yes, we've met. How do you do, gentlemen? Hello, Mr. Is Mrs. Riley... Oh, uh, she's indisposed at the moment. I understand. Must have been a terrible shock. <laughs> May we see him... This way, gentlemen. If you'll just stand here in the doorway. There he is. Poor Riley. He was a fine chap. Gee, he looks so natural. You did a good job, Digger. <laughs> Thank you. My card, gentlemen. to believe Riley's gone. Yeah. Only yesterday we was playing pinochle. And now... Poor Riley. At least he went fast. You have no idea how fast. <laughs> Mr. O'Dell, there'll be expenses, and I know Riley wasn't kind to save much, so send the bill to me. And uh, there was some overtime pay that was due him. I brought it here. It amounted to... Uh, <clears throat> $25. What's wrong? I could have sworn I just saw Riley twitch. As I was saying, the overtime came to $50. Now, gentlemen, perhaps you'd better be shoveling off. Yes, yes, of course. I extend my condolences to Mrs. Riley, and if there's anything I can do, you, you'll let me know. Yes, of course. Good day, gentlemen. Bye. All right, Riley, you can get up now. Yeah, we, we put it over, and we fooled him, we got away with it. He really thought I was dead. Oh, oh Riley. Hey, we got nothing to worry about. Oh, you told him. No, I played dead. <laughs> <laughs> You? What? I had to. <laughs> oh, boy, what a guy won't go through to hold a job. <laughs> you idiot. If you're dead, how can you hold your job? <laughs> what a revolting development this is. <laughs> Is that you? Yes, it's me. Well, did you see Stevenson? I saw him. Well, what did he say? Oh, man. 
sent his wife to beg for his job back. Well, what did he say? Was he surprised to hear that I wasn't dead? Surprised, but not overjoyed. Yeah, well, is it okay? Do I get my job back? Yes. Lucky for you, he blamed that nurse at the hospital. Oh, then I can go back to work tomorrow, huh? No, the day after tomorrow. Well, why not tomorrow? Tomorrow, he wants you to see his psychiatrist. Oh. <laughs> Riley, you've got to see a psychiatrist, huh? Yeah, well, what's he going to do to me, Harry? Well, he'll have you lie down on his couch, and when you're nice and comfortable, he'll ask you questions. Questions? Sure. He'll probably say, uh, Mr. Riley, what'll you have? Oh, oh, I ain't nuts, Doc. The only answer to that is Pat Blue Ribbon. Finest beer served anywhere. Smoother, smoother, smoother flavors. Zest and sparkle, million flavors. Taste that smoother, smoother flavor. Pat's Blue Ribbon beer. What'll you have? Pat's Blue Ribbon. Pat's Blue Ribbon invites you to join us again next week to hear The Life of Riley, starring William Bendix as Riley. Tonight... Just a few hours from now, Pabst Blue Ribbon brings you direct from San Francisco another exclusive Pabst Blue Ribbon event in sport. The ten-round heavyweight fight between former world heavyweight champion Joe Lewis and San Francisco's own Andy Walker. The whole world is waiting for the outcome of tonight's fight as Joe Lewis guns for his fourth comeback victory. See your newspaper right now for time and station in your city for the big fight tonight. Harry Von Zell speaking. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll be with me next week as I uncover more gems in the golden age of radio. Thank you to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.